Welcome to another episode of Fresh Takes, where we explore the intersection of faith and culture. Uh, well, so glad that you all are joining us. Uh, me, Christina, and Adrian are sitting around this morning drinking coffee, and uh, we're going to talk today uh, kind of a roundtable discussion about the Southern Baptist Convention, um, which is the denomination in which Grace Community Church is uh, affiliated with. Um, and we're just going to spend some time talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, why Grace is a part of the SBC, and kind of more recent news um, and kind of do some literal fresh takes about some of the hot topics, as well as um, kind of things that we're just proud of uh, when it comes to the SBC. Um, so we're going to jump in. Uh, Adrian, uh, you are our local historian when it comes to church history. I think of the however many full-time staff people we have, you are the only person who enjoys church history. Um, so why don't you give us kind of a rundown of, of the history of the Southern Baptist Convention and why it's important. So does that mean I'm the only uh, staff member who's saved um, because <laughs> I actually care about our heritage all the way back to Christ? You're Look. the only one who won't repeat the problems of the early church That's right. because you know about them. That's, That's right. right. I, I hope not. Um, yeah. I would also give a shout out. Mark Ellis, who uh, reviewed us on our first one, also is a huge church history fan. True, so love that. No, I'm going to give a, a update, not update, but just a little history on uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, where we came from. And where we are today, we honestly um, go all the way back, of course, to the book of Acts. We trace our lineage back to uh, the the apostles. Out of that, um, you have church uh, fathers like Augustine and, and those that you, you hear about. Go forward about a thousand years after Augustine, and you have the reformers. That's uh, Martin Luther, among others, uh, John Calvin, uh, Zwingli. You have John Huss, John Wycliffe. Those guys, we we as Baptists trace our lineage back to the reformers, the Anabaptists after that, and then you get up to about the 1800s, and that's when the Southern Baptist Convention actually split. It split for two reasons from I think the triennial convention or whatever it might have been called and and they split for two reasons. One was honestly a positive, one was a negative. The negative, I'll give you that first, is the Southern Baptists started because uh, they were in the South in 1845, and they wanted to continue to have slaves as well as have their own denomination. And then the other reason was the more positive reason that they had a heart for missions and honestly wanted to see uh, a mission agency, you could say, a mission board then, a mission agency that was going to do a really good job of sending missions. So, um, called the Domestic Mission Board, and they um, really wanted to see lost people come to faith, and they were willing to send people wherever. So that happened in about the 18, I think that actually, so they, the Southern Baptist Convention started in 1845, and then from there, uh, you obviously have uh, some some history in the 1900s and mid-1900s of Southern Baptists who still honestly held to kind of a, a white privilege kind of perspective, but meanwhile, they're still doing a lot of things in missions. Then you get um, in that same same time period where you had uh, this idea that was really not starting then. It started earlier, but it was beginning to infiltrate the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was that uh, 
um, people who didn't believe the Bible to be true and accurate. So you would call that liberal theology was beginning to, to kind of take root in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was beginning to head in the direction of not believing the Bible to be true, and that was uh, inspired by guys like Bultmann and, and Karl Barth and others, uh, some German theologians, and it began to go in a, a liberal the. Uh, theologically liberal direction. So in in the 1970s, um, some men in the Southern Baptist Convention decided they were going to do their best to make sure it wasn't going to go that direction. So what happened is what's referred to as the conservative resurgence. And you had men in that, um, uh, like Paul Pressler, uh, Paige Patterson, who I know in the last couple of years has come under some fire for various things, and, and rightfully so. And then you had uh, men like Adrian Rogers, Charles Stanley, among others, who were able, um, I'll leave this up to you as the hearer to uh, to go and, and look this up so I don't have to uh, go into a 45-minute detail of the conservative resurgence, but, um, but they were able to steer the Southern Baptist Convention in a direction that was theologically conservative, believing the Bible to be true, believing the Bible to be inerrant, believing the Bible um, to be the Word of God, not just something that we take and read and whatever we experience from it is whatever we experience from it. So they were able to do that, and when they did, one of the ways that they were able to take the Southern Baptist Convention back in a conservative direction is to take every seminary. The Southern Baptist Convention has six seminaries and install presidents in those seminaries uh, who were um, were conservatives. And that uh, was really led by Al Mohler, who is at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Al Mohler saw a turnaround of the Southern Baptist Seminary uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, saw a major turnaround there, and he had to go through a lot of hard things to turn that seminary around in a conservative direction, but he did. And uh, we, from there, uh, you have men who today uh, stand on the shoulders of, of others who stood up for the biblical inerrancy and stood up for the veracity of Scripture and the accuracy of the Bible. And we can sit here as a church today doing the things we do like expositional preaching and believing the Bible to be true, teaching our kids that the Bible is God's Word because of what happened there. So that's a, a brief history. Uh, all the way back, we go back again to the Reformers, and then you you lean forward to the 70s and the 80s called the conservative resurgence. So I would ask you as a listener to go look that up and read about it. A statement called the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy. That's not a Southern Baptist document, but that's a document that the Southern Baptists got behind because it, it claimed and stated that we believe the Bible to be true. So go check those things out. We'll put that link to the Chicago Statement in the show notes. So I only had like a few minutes to give you, so that's what I gave. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, I have two questions. The first one's for Christina, who, Christina, you're, <laughs> you are actually resident Presbyterian in the room. So you hear kind of this Baptist heritage and uh, where uh, our lineage has kind of come from denominationally. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything in there that like shocked you or anything that you didn't know or? Well, I've had a couple of church history classes too. So, sure. and uh, you can't work in the same office with Adrian and not hear church history. It's true. At, at some point. Uh, yeah. I grew up Presbyterian. I, obviously work at a Southern Baptist church. So, um, I've been baptized, I've been fully immersed. So, um, I'm, I'm here, but, uh, I think 
couple years ago we were talking about it and and uh the the conservative uh resurgence and taking scripture a high view of scripture uh surprised me mm-hmm. uh, i didn't know that i grew up in a town with lots of southern baptist churches but we all hung out with the presbyterians um yeah. and so i um heard about that and and for me that's part of what i love about the southern baptist denomination is the high view of scripture as someone who studies scripture as we talked about in the last episode passionate about how scripture is interpreted and applied and and used uh, that's something i really appreciate about our denomination awesome yeah and then my second question um kind of a satirical question is uh so we don't get our name from john the baptist no I, I know that every first Wednesday, if you've been to a first Wednesday service, Alan Michael always baptizes. So we're calling him John the Baptizer. But um, no, we, he's wearing we, camel skin. Yeah, eating come, locusts. Come to our November first Wednesday, where I'll be. Uh, I'll dress the part. I'll wear camel. Yeah, camel skins. I'll eat locusts and honey. You gonna grow the beard out? I'll try. Well, I'll try. I mean, I may have to buy a fake beard, but. It's uh, all right. I yeah. think you should do it. I think you should do it. Okay. We'll see. We'll see about that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Adrian, for that history. Uh, you may be listening and you heard things that you didn't know, mm-hmm. uh, similar to us, but you guys had the chance to go to the Southern Baptist Convention this summer in mm-hmm. Nashville. Mm-hmm. And leading up to the convention, there was a lot of press. There were a lot of uh, tension tension surrounding what may come up in this convention. We've, we've seen different things. Um, Alan Michael, what, when you guys were there and Adrian, feel free to jump in, were some of the hot topics that were discussed, maybe even surprising of not what you expected them to be coming into the convention, but what transpired in those couple of days that you guys were in Nashville? Yeah. So, um, uh, first of all, at the convention in June of this year, was uh, there were 21,000 people who were at the convention, which I think is the largest in like 30 plus years. Um, and there was a lot kind of uh, riding on this convention. There's a, there was quite a bit of uh, debate. There was a lot of political things that were kind of fueling what could be discussed, what we were going to do. We went into the convention thinking that the Equality Act was going to be one of the most, you know, most major topic that we would talk about, what we're going to do about it as a convention. Um, I don't recall the Equality Act even being brought up in those couple of days. And I I was coming ready. I I had already studied up on it and had read about it, and I was ready to to listen to what they said, and and it wasn't talked about just yet because other Mm -hmm. things came up. Yeah, Um, and so so really I think there were three topics that um, kind of rose to the surface as kind of the most – um, heated topics. Um, one of them, which was, which was, I, I want to be careful how I phrase this. One of them was larger and the other two were just not quite as large or not quite as, as a big deal there. Um, but you could tell that all three of these, um, were, were divisive. And, and so I want to preface by saying, here's what I'm very thankful for in the SBC is that, um, the SBC, uh, at the convention this year, one of the things that we're not debating is um, liberal theology or not. Like we're not we're not at a breaking point of where half of the of the convention is leading toward liberal theology, low view of scripture, high view of experience, uh, where the other half is the opposite. We everybody in the room, all twenty one thousand people, lean on high view of scripture, 
And then uh, what we basically argued on was uh, how do we take Scripture in light of our current context and go about it today. So I want to say, I want to preface that that was the case, which I'm thankful for. I can deal, right? Like, you know, so I think uh, yeah, one of the one of the topics that got brought up, which was uh, talked about and was clearly divisive, one of those deals where you could uh, kind of cut the tension with a knife in the room was critical race theory. Um uh, if you if you're not familiar listening what critical race theory is, we'll put a link um, in the in the show notes that can kind of give you an idea of what it is. Um, but uh, critical race theory uh, was brought up several times, and even in our uh, uh, we had made um, uh, some statements as a Southern Baptist convention about critical race theory. <clears throat> and there were several, and by several, I mean many people in the room who did not agree with what was said in the statement, which was uh, which was very much against critical race theory, but it wasn't fully, uh, I guess it wasn't far enough for some people. Um, and that began to kind of snowball into um, <laughs> CRT is being taught in our seminaries, and it like it just really began to like, uh, kind of cascade into this darkness of like, where are we going with this? Um, when you agree, like it just kind of went out of control. <laughs> yeah. When we went in, I think to the second session on the afternoon, I think it was a, whatever date it was Tuesday afternoon, we went into the second session and there were people uh, passing out um, sheets of paper talking about how critical race theory is being taught in our seminaries. And it's interesting that last year, um, Al Moeller, among the other, he, he kind of championed this, but then five, the other five seminary presidents created a statement mm-hmm. in opposition to CRT mm-hmm. uh, and, and actually you know, lost some credibility with some Southern Baptists in doing so, but created a statement against it. However, this year you had people who were, were willing to say, no, this is being taught in the seminaries and you don't, you don't realize it. And this is this is what you need to know. So it was just interesting yeah. that that was the case that it was that that it was supposedly being taught. However, last year there was a statement that went public that denounced it. Yeah, as yeah. a as a theory of humanity. Yeah, and 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 so Baptist Press put out um, an article. Uh, after the statements of the seminary professors came out and it had their entire statement. And we'll link that uh, into the show notes as well, but it was very much their um, statement on it. And from someone um, who just recently graduated from one of those six seminaries, I can honestly say that not only, like, A, is it not taught, but also B, there's no place for it to be taught. Yeah, we were talking yesterday in seminary curriculum and the classes that we've taken, like where would this even fit in our conversation other than maybe some classroom discussion where someone brings it up to professor and mm-hmm. says, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm, I'm trying to grapple with what's going on in the media and in culture. And then like we said, most likely the professor would say, well, this is the seminary's view mm-hmm. or this is my view if it differed a little yeah. bit, but it wouldn't be the seminary saying, this is critical race theory. This is what we believe. We affirm it. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And if if it was brought up in conversation like that, then then a then it's just a conversation with a person and not being taught. You know what I'm saying? It's not the institution. Yeah, and so and so I think um, I think there's this there's this movement where we're dealing with right now and a 
larger political sphere, not just Southern Baptist world, of what's 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 fake news and what's real news, right? And and I think I think that politically began to play itself out at the convention this year. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Okay. Um, so CRT was obviously uh, a major topic, and I think the best, uh, and, I'll, and I'll say this because it was just one of the greatest moments of the convention, CRT got brought up at one point, and James Merritt, who, um, uh, uh, who has pastored for many, many years, I believe was the president of the SBC at one point. He was. Yes. He was, yeah. So he was leading the charge on, on some of these stances, and somebody brought up CRT, and, and James came to the podium, and he said, listen, uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna have a hard heart with everybody. All 21,000 people in the room, and we knew where this was going real fast. And he said, "If you all cared about the gospel and evangelism as much as you care about CRT, we'd have this whole world saved by tomorrow." And like, the come other, on, yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Amen, praise the Lord." He got like a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. Like, but like that needed to be said. Absolutely. Um. So so CRT was big. The second, uh, the second kind of uh, major hot topic of the SBC this year was um, uh, abortion, and specifically this kind of uh, surge, this wave of Southern Baptists who was pushing for the abolition of abortion, um, which was uh, this kind of spearheading, taking uh, all this to the Supreme Court and getting this, getting abortion fully um, illegalized, you know. Um, and they, they were passing out outside of the, of the, uh, music city hall where we were having the SBC. Um, and we were walking out and they were passing out these flowers about abortion and which, which just kind of struck me because everybody in this room agrees. Like, like every, all 21,000 people, we, nobody in here disagrees about abortion, like at all. And, and so uh, there was quite a bit of conversation. There's one person who stood up when we read our stance on abortion. Um, there was one person who stood up, and, and this is all recorded, so I'm not saying this out of, like, you can go back and watch the whole thing This happened. Uh, a guy said that we, you know, he wanted to make an amendment to the, to the statement that literally said that we need to call women who've had abortion child murderers. That's what he said. And, and what did the statement originally say? <clears throat> it said to, it said to uh, minister, minister, serve and lo- serve, love and minister were the primary three words yeah. in that statement for women who've had abortion. So serve them, love them, minister to them in some kind of way. By no means did it did it say you wouldn't in that process say, listen, I don't know if you realize this, but what you've done is yeah. is is an atrocity, like it's bad. But but he wanted to he wanted to amend those words to say. Uh, something along the lines of baby murderer who needs to repent from their just like that kind of tone and that mm-hmm. kind of language. And there was there was more than just that. So yeah, and and then that that at that moment, at that moment, like the the tension you felt with CRT, like was amplified because because it was like not only was wow like that that's an extreme like extreme thing. And again, nobody is here disagreeing about abortion. But Right. And you, you told me when you came back that there was a lady, I think on the panel and the discussion who she actually works with women who have had abortions, counsels them, ministers to them. What was her response to him? Yeah. Well, she got up there and she got extremely emotional because this is what she does day in and day out is everything that that statement said is basically her job description. 
And and so she got up there and she looked at the man and she just basically said that like um like nobody up here disagrees with what you said. But if we go about our day and go about these conversations in shaming women, that's unbiblical, right? That's unbiblical. Um and and no way in scripture does it say that we are to cast shame on people? Right. This isn't the sin above all sin that that is unforgivable. Yeah, and and CRT and abortion, uh, in the clearly at the convention, and it kind of ebbs and flows with political bent, but CRT and abortion rose to be the the unforgivables, right? And um and and that's just not like it's just not true, um and so uh, yeah, her response was was very gracious. Um, but also stern to be like, this is what I do. And basically what you said is the unbiblical way to go about this. So, which, which was very well handled. I'm glad that they had her up there. Um, which, which almost makes me think they were expecting somebody to say something like that. Mm -hmm. So what what do you think? Yeah. And I, I think it's crucial. You may have already said this, but, uh, that SBC denounces both CRT and abortion. So in the uh, in the statements that they created, what are mm-hmm. called resolutions, they denounced them. People just wanted to take a stronger stance, and that stronger stance being, um, let's essentially vilify everyone who um, either has had an abortion, has supported it, or supports CRT, which is interesting because I'm in the process right now of teaching on Tuesday nights, the equip you, we will not be silenced. And one of the things that we talked about, and I made sure to point out is often people who are theologically, what what I would say, theologically correct, or theologically, at least theologically right, theologically conservative, um, can look at people who have adopted this view of cancel culture and, and say, like, yeah, they're canceling everybody, but at the same time, turn around and do the exact same thing with someone who doesn't agree with them. And that's what was happening. You I take someone who said, yeah, we say CRT is, is not uh, proper. We say abortion is a sin and we're going to love and minister to those. But because you don't say abortion is an abomination and we're going to call out everybody and call them murderers, you're just adopting a view that abortion's all right. And that's essentially what happened. And that's, that's honestly very inaccurate. Yeah. And, and you use the word perfectly to vilify and honestly as the resident presbyterian Mm -hmm. uh growing up that's what i thought of as southern baptist um and baptist in general in the community that i grew up i knew what they were against more than what they were for Mm -hmm. and and to vilify people who may view even view things differently or who have experienced things differently to vilify another human being who's created in the image of God goes against the second commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. That Jesus says this is the second greatest commandment after loving God. Yeah. And so for me growing up, that's what I knew about Baptists. I knew what they were against. I knew what you couldn't do. I never had a positive experience uh, with friends who, who went to Baptist churches. And then I came to college and I came to Grace and I was attending for a couple of years and I realized we were Southern Baptists. I was like, hold up, wait a minute. Something's not right here <laughs> because the, this isn't matching up with what I know about about Southern Baptists. And so I think it's important that we recognize, obviously, that all Southern Baptists, you point out greatly, Al Michael, that, that there's this tension in how we're wording it, that really we come down to the same thing, but it's how we act out what we believe mm-hmm. and live it out and even verbalize it where we differ. 
Yeah, I agree. And and someone who grew up in Southern Baptist world, I, I, I'm I'm same as you. You know, like I knew that we supported the Lottie Moon offering and that we had a pretty robust missionary organization and sending people. But I also remember business meetings from hell. Like, you know, I remember sitting in those and and them just being awful. And uh, at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, it's when you you, you, you use that phrase, it was 21,000 people and uh, all in one room. And you, you have to go up to a podium and kind of put your name in to speak, but anyone can have an opportunity to speak. So if you're a, a Baptist or you've been in church business meetings where people talk and want to talk and want to talk about details that you don't think matter, imagine that with 21,000 people in yeah. one room. And You know that was, person at your church who loves to get on that pedestal? Imagine, they step up on that soapbox <laughs> willingly. Imagine 21,000. <laughs> and can I just say that the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, um, who uh, like resides over that meeting, did it so well. Uh, he, unbelievable. He, he, he did it graciously and then at times shut people down. Um, at one point, people, uh, someone asked to speak and spoke, and, and people started clapping because what they said was really tearing somebody down, and he just looked, pointed his finger at them like, like you would your child and said, that's not how we're going to handle things here, mm-hmm. um, which was the right thing to do because that's not how you should handle things and try to be divisive. So uh, all of that is recorded. You can go back and watch it. I don't know why you would want to watch the whole meeting, but you could go back and watch all of that yeah. uh, online. Yeah, and so, um, and so the yeah, so the CRT abolition of abortion, and then the 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 final piece of it, um, which is still, and I and I say this is kind of the bigger one because it's still like driving right now, and it's still a major factor, um, even hundred days after uh, the convention, which is the um, potential mishandling of sexual harassment. Uh, within Southern Baptist churches over the last however many years. There was, um, I think it was Grant Gaines, um, who's a pastor in Nashville, who um, put forth, um, uh, uh, he called for a motion to have an investigation done in uh, these cases over the last, I believe, 20 years, as well as a um, uh, an investigation into the executive committee of the SBC itself. Um, and so they uh, they created a task force led by Pastor Bruce Frank um, at Biltmore in Asheville, um, who I believe is doing an amazing job up to this point. And, um, uh, but there are, they have finally, after however many executive committee meetings passed, um, to waive the attorney-client privilege so that all the information can be released and used. Um, and even if it uh, casts a shadow on um, Southern Baptist churches and Southern Baptist pastors and Southern Baptist leadership who may have attempted to um, hide or or um, sweep under the rug or to silence um, women who have come forward with this. Um, even if it puts a bad reputation on the SBC, this stuff needs to come to light. And I think um, finally um, that's kind of coming into fruition. And this is the one that was 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 of CRT, abolition of abortion, there was clear tension. This one was more of the tension between the 21,000 people who were there and the leadership who were up on the stage. And I think that's where the tension shifted with this one. And and it's still kind of there right now, but it's kind of fizzling out at the same time. So that's one of the big ones. Um, do you have anything to add about that one? 
Yeah, I mean the the executive committee, um, who who I know is in their in their potential saying, hey, you know, we we don't want people's names to be um, drugged through the mud if they don't need to be. I get that, but at the same time, the Southern Baptist Convention is going to have a bad reputation if they don't do things to take care of people who've been abused or harassed or whatever. And that's that's what's been happening in the last little bit. Is it's taken now. Of three and a half months for them to finally say, yeah, we'll, we'll open up to a third party, which is what the 21,000 people who were there said, this needs to happen. And there, I think 86 members of the executive committee. And those were the ones who were saying, well, it's, it's a little more uh, difficult to, to do than what you've said, which is essentially like you've got 21,000 people asking you to do this and mm-hmm. I don't care how difficult it is from a polity standpoint, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah, and I would say even if you didn't know anything about go- anything going on in the convention, you may have heard people like Beth Moore or Russell Moore who are not related. Uh, Beth Moore uh, is a women's Bible teacher, and um, Russell Moore led the ethics committee for the Southern Baptists. Both of them left the convention largely on this topic of how this was being handled. Yeah. And so this is something that you may have seen in the news or in the press, little little deeper dive into it of what's actually going on. Because the executive committee even at one point said, we'll investigate, but we'll investigate ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the 21,000 voted and said, no, we need an outside task force investigating this to get a good look at what's really going on. And I would just say that um, the importance that you guys felt in the room, the women in the room probably felt much greater uh, someone who has counseled countless women who have experienced harassment and abuse, um, and uh, thankfully not in this church, but who have experienced it in other places. The weight of this and how uh, the the Southern Baptist Convention handles it, a lot of women are watching. And a lot of women are saying, do we matter? Does our voice matter? Does our experience matter? And so um, from from all age ranges, and so the way that we move forward in this could like you said, tarnish the Southern Baptist name, uh, what comes to light, but it needs to come to light no matter how hard it is. Even Adrian, you mentioned looking at our history and how that, that part of the Southern Baptist was the affirmation of slavery, mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of our history. And as bad as it is, we have to look at our history and learn from it and move forward. Yeah. So I would say that. And so th- these are some heavy topics, yeah. some heavy things that even, listeners may disagree even with with our approach to it feel free we'll we'll drop some of these things in the notes but alan michael closes out with some positives that came out yeah. of the convention yeah so um uh we say all this and then it's like you're probably thinking uh gosh why are, why are we southern why are baptists? You still southern baptists like gosh this is what y'all argue about so um yeah that what is true is that like you said the things that southern baptists are known for are definitely not um, uh, are influential. They're not positive. Um, but here is what the Southern Baptist Convention has been doing, and they have cast a division um, for the next uh, four years um, with some pretty amazing goals in mind um, and uh, that I'm very, very excited about, one of which is about the North American Mission Board, which is a Baptist Southern Baptist organization supported by the SBC, um, helped funded by the cooperative program. So you know, when your church gives to the cooperative program, you're you're giving to agencies like the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board. 
um, and the six seminaries. Um, so, um, so yeah. And so the North American Mission Board, um, by 2025, um, over the next four years, wants to plant 5,000 churches. Um, and that is um, 1,250 per year, which that is a lot. And uh, they gave a number of how many they had in 2021, and I just don't remember what it is at the moment, but it was significant. And um, this is just a beautiful, a beautiful picture of of uh, of what they're doing. There's movement. There are things happening. Um, churches are ready to be planted, which is a very biblical model um, of what should happen. They're being planted of healthy churches, um, uh, and they're stu- these are Southern Baptist churches. These aren't these non-denominational churches that come in. This is these are SBC affiliated churches who are planted. And this number, um, if you look at the smarter scale. Uh, it's a pretty risky goal because they even said that I don't think they've ever planted more than 1,250 in one year. So the fact that they have to reach that every year until they get to 5,000, that's a risky goal. Mm-hmm. But the impact they're going to make um, makes me proud to be part of the SBC. Um, the International Mission Board, um, they want to, by 2025, add 500 uh, fully funded full-time missionaries overseas. And that's a lot of money for someone who's been overseas. Like my startup cost as a missionary was 40 grand, yeah. not to mention the monthly. That was just to go buy plane tickets, get an apartment. So so the number of missionaries is great. But then when you put a dollar sign with what it takes to get a missionary to the mm-hmm. field, that's a lot. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a great goal. It is. And yeah, it's yeah, it's not just send them out and, and hopefully that they, they get some money and whatever. No, these are this is their full time job fully funded. They don't have to worry about expenses. They just go do work. They just go do the work of the Lord. And, um, so, so, um, and, and, and this is an aspect of the Southern Baptists that have always been a reality, but it kind of hides in the shadows because we always argue about things and we don't put this to the forefront, but this is happening. And there are missionaries who are overseas. There are so many missionaries who are overseas, who are supported by the International Mission Board, supported by your giving to the cooperative program, who um, you don't even know their names, but they are seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they are doing work. Which this is a large part of why Grace chose uh, the founding members of Grace early on wanted to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention largely was because of the emphasis on missions and sending missionaries. Yeah, yeah, and it's such an amazing work. Um, another one is um, is they, they have a goal by 2025 um, to reverse the decline of teenage baptisms. There has been a, a clear decline of, of teenagers, uh, 12 to 17, um, uh, who have just not been, you know, the numbers have been declining over the last several years, and they want to see that um, reverse. And um, by the end of the convention, it went from uh, 12 to 17-year-olds to just everybody under 18, and um, which which is a great goal. Um, and in light of that, um, I can speak to the North Carolina Baptist uh, because we are in the North Carolina world. On September the 12th, we had uh, what's called uh, Fill the Tank, which was a call to every church uh, in the SBC who's in the state of North Carolina to hold baptism on that day. Which we did ours early on first <laughs> Wednesday. We but did. We, our number still counted. Yes, yes. Um, uh, we did our number. Uh, we did ours early, like she said. Um, but on September the twelfth, over uh, the span of North Carolina Southern Baptist churches, there was seventeen hundred and sixty-three people baptized on that day, and which which is just a, a huge, 
a huge step um, in seeing new believers come to faith, take uh, the step of obedience into the waters of baptism. Um, it is just a huge, huge thing. And, and it's one of the reasons that uh, I'm just so proud to be a Southern Baptist is the emphasis on baptisms, on the emphasis on saying, like, uh, when you come to faith, your next step in obedience is to walk through the waters of baptism um, as you are symbolically uh, telling everyone uh, what uh, you're telling everyone um, on the outside what's happening to you on the inside, right? Um, so what are your thoughts? I think it's all great. I, I thought the, the fill the tank initiative was was good. Um, the the emphasis of the vision 2025 where all of those are outwardly focused, which is if we're going to have a, a church and a denomination that's going to continually grow and expand the kingdom, not just grow, but grow and expand the kingdom, then it's going to take people who are saying, you know what, there are certain things that we have to differ on, but if there are minor differences, we can come together for the sake of the gospel, which is what this vision is, which I was thankful. I think in, in a lot of the annual meeting, that that was kind of not celebrated enough because of the issues. However, those things are, are what, as Southern Baptists, since, since our inception, that's what we've been about. There might be some other things that weren't good, just like there are right now, but we've been about missions. So that's, yeah. that's a phenomenal thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So, Adrian, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You had a J.D. Greer quote from the convention that I'd love for you to, to wrap <laughs> us up with. What was that? Um, he he was giving his uh, presidential, that's what's called a presidential address, you know, and his his speech, um, his last speech as president. And and I won't get this verbatim, but I'll I'll be able to kind of tell you essentially what he said. He was talking about how the last three years in the Southern Baptist Convention, there are people who have supported him, and then people who've also said like, "Man, you're you're going so far theologically left that we don't even know who you are anymore." And obviously, politics got brought into that, and he was uh, was the address is essentially a sermon and he was kind of preaching and he said um, we as southern baptists are not people who follow an elephant or follow a donkey we're people of the lamb and at that point um the the room erupted in applause and he could have just walked off the podium (laughs) or walked off the stage at that point but it's true as christians you you we don't we don't follow a political party first you can have your allegiance to them second but you follow Christ first, and and he was uh, sure to say that who we are as Christians matters more than who we are uh, in in any other spect uh, any other realm of life. Yeah, and and if you don't mind on this on this topic, I wanted to say this earlier, but um, but given in light of what you just said, and and in light of the conversation of of abortion, CRT, and what's going on is in in the church world. One of the things that we have to realize is there are two circles um, uh, that we have in our lives. One is the circle of influence, and the other is the circle of concern. The circle of influence is a smaller circle that's closer to us, um, and uh, and it's obviously smaller because our influence is smaller, right? We have uh, our family is our influence, um, our friends are influence. If you're in a life group or a Bible study. That's your influence. Um, if you're a pastor or a ministry leader, um, your ministry, the people in your ministry is your influence. Um, uh, if you have a staff, if you work at a business, the people who you lead, these are your. this is your influence. And then the larger circle is the circle of concern. These are the things that we can, we can wrap our minds around that we don't actually have influence over. And so 
one of the one of the pieces of the Southern Baptist Convention is that we spend way too much time thinking about the circle of concern and not the circle of influence. So if I apply this to me as a as one of the pastors here at Grace Community Church, um if I if I so focus on what's happening on Capitol Hill, if I so focus on taking all of this to the Supreme Court and, and going there and 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 shouting from the rooftops these broad shameful things from the pulpit. Um, I'm focused on the circle of concern, which means inevitably I lose influence. So first of all, that's what that means. Whereas if, if I, if I take it and say, you know, that is in my circle of concern. I I am concerned about abortion. I am concerned about, um, about what's happening politically and what that means for our nation and, and what that means for our church and my family. I am but I don't wrap my mind around that. I focus on what I can control. I focus on my influence. So I start at home, right? I start with my wife and my son, and I say, um, you know, this, and I, and I lead from there. And then I have my own staff here on Grace now, at Grace, and then I lead my staff. And 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 I do counseling, and uh, and I lead people, and that's where I focus, right? Like, like I'm focused on what I can control, which, which eventually goes out into the circle of concern. So like you said a minute ago, um, you, you've counseled women who have gone through the, uh, the trials of sexual abuse, mm-hmm. right? You, you've walked with women who have done that. If you, <laughs> if you were to just go to the highest possible power and didn't have that conversation with that woman, you're not focusing on your influence. And right. then you lose that influence. Does that make sense? Right. It, you can't put all your effort and all your energy into both. And, and, there are people, godly people, who are called uh, into to politics or into um, movements that fight for this, um, but that's not my my call. And uh, you know, if if I can walk with one woman through yeah. hardship, um, that's a win. That not um, how votes go, not how I I know what I believe. Mm. Um, I in fact I I had a conversation with someone about CRT, and I said. I really think that CRT is the world's way of explaining sin. Mm. You know, we as believers, we know. Mm-hmm. So what the world says about it really doesn't matter. I know what I believe based on scripture. Mm-hmm. And when I get caught up in the circle of concern of making sure all my non-believing friends denounce CRT, they don't stand on scripture. They mm. don't have a worldview for sin. Mm. I need to love them. And, and engage with them to the point where they understand what sin is, where they understand what the gospel is, CRT, abortion, uh, any equality act, that can come later. Mm. But I need them to the point where they know who Jesus Christ is. Mm. And then we move from there. And I mm-hmm. think talking about concern and influence, social media has so skewed this, where oh, we yeah. think our influence are the 2,000 friends <laughs> on Facebook or the 700 Instagram followers or all 50 of your Twitter followers because people still use Twitter, I guess. But, um, but I'm an introvert. Even extroverts don't have 2000 friends that they have influence with. If anything, we're, we're the things that we post can cause dividing lines. Like I told someone in the midst of election, I would rather not post something and keep the door open to have a personal conversation with someone than to post something that 50 of my friends agree with. And I, and I exclude my non-believing friends, um, which say what it is. Probably my friends on social media are are fifty fifty believers and non-believers because of the role that I've played in the secular workplace, um, 
dear friends that I love who we just don't see eye to eye on things, but I don't want to exclude them. And if I post something that all a hundred of my Christian friends agree with, and I've shut the door to then have a conversation with them later, to me, that feels like a loss. Yeah. And so we have to remember this, that, that we're not changing people by our posts. If anything, we're causing dividing lines, even within the church. Oh yeah. You know, to say you posted something, um, that is, is degrading someone who voted for someone that you don't agree with. But do you know that there's probably someone in the row worshiping with you at church who maybe has that view, but you don't know the whole story behind them? Agreed. And, I, and, 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 and here's another thing. Gosh, we could just talk about this forever, and we got to shut this land mm-hmm. this plane, is this reality of, of tying Southern Baptist theology to politics, right? Like right. We, we've, we've equated... We've equated um, uh, nationalism to Christianity, and and we or patriotism. Sorry, mm-hmm. patriotism to to Christianity, and we've got to get out of that mindset. Which is going back to what JD Greer said in his closing address. What Adrian just mentioned a minute ago is we're not people of the elephant uh, or the donkey. We are people of the lamb. My unbelieving friends, I don't I don't honestly care who they vote for. Mm-hmm. I don't. Matter of fact, if you're a believer and you're listening to this, I don't care who you vote for. I care that you know Jesus and 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 that you know him well. Um, Paul says in uh, in um, uh, Philippians that I count it I count it all as loss, everything. Mm-hmm. Not I count everything for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Not, not for the sake of uh, being able to stand in a pulpit and preach. Not, mm-hmm. not just knowing Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's that's what he focused on. And so I say that to say kind of what you said. I could post political things. I could post things about the vaccine. I could I could do all these things. And guess what? I have stances. I have beliefs. I think about them. It's not that they're unimportant. I have a view on them. But here's what I don't do: is that people who disagree with me do I just say, "Well, forget you then." Mm-hmm. You can't come to grace if you don't believe this, or you can't, whatever. No, no. You can be a hardcore believer in Jesus Christ and be Republican. You can be a hardcore believer in Jesus Christ and be Democrat. You can be a hardcore believer in Jesus Christ and believe uh, that, or, or just, you know, believe that you don't need to get a vaccine or whatever. Like, I don't care. I care that you know Jesus. That's my main concern. That's scripture's main concern. It never. Uh, the only thing it deals with government is that we should respect government. Mm-hmm. It, it never says that you should lean which way or the other. It, it, it doesn't. You know, Jesus was not Republican, regardless of what all of you may think. He wasn't. And just because he rode in on a donkey doesn't mean that he was Democrat. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, don't read into that. Um, there's just a reality that we have to get back to focusing on Jesus and not focusing on political figures or ideals or anything like that. Jesus says always been the main concern since the day that he uh, walked here um, on the earth, uh, was born, and, and, and all of creation stopped that night to, to pay homage and worship him. Mm-hmm. The angels were singing, the shepherds were singing, the animals in the stable were singing. Everybody on that moment, heaven and earth, were worshiping the coming of him, not the coming of Caesar, who was already here, or anybody else, right? Like it was, it was Jesus Christ, and we've got to get back to that. Absolutely. Well, thank you for preaching to us today, Alan Michael. Uh, no, it was great. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Alan Michael, for this conversation. And thank you for listening. Um, we are so appreciative of it. Uh, you guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Fresh Takes. 
Go ahead and subscribe wherever you're listening. That way you'll get notifications when new episodes come out. As well, leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you have topics that you'd like us to address in the future, go ahead and send me an email at christina at graceforall.org. We'd love to look into uh, addressing those topics in the future. We hope that this conversation has been encouraging to you as we try to live as faithful followers of Jesus in what can often be a messy and confusing world. 